From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hey listeners, it's Katie again, and believe it or not, I'm still in event wrap-up mode here at the office in Madison which means I'm still spending time listening to Expo seminars that were presented at World Dairy Expo 2021. This one about evaluating farm loans caught my ear, and I wanted to share the audio with you all. So here it is. Well, welcome everyone to this wonderful seminar that we're putting on. Thank you to Microtechnologies for sponsoring it. We're going to be chatting about farm loans today, how we're evaluating them. Some fantastic members of the industry up here. I'll be leading the conversation. My name is Melaine Wells. I'm the host of Midwest Farm Weekly. It's produced by a CBS station out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. But we air in several different markets across the Midwest. We cover a lot of different uh, parts of production agriculture. We have a lot of dairy in the region where I'm from. I'm actually fortunate to live on a fifth-generation dairy farm, so I get to learn a lot about the uh, hands-on operation of a farm work. But this is a topic that I'm excited to learn a little bit more about as my husband and I take on a little bit more of the ownership and leadership roles around our farms. No doubt that will involve banking and lending through that process. We welcome Sam Miller, who is here from BMO Harris. He has over 37 years of experience in banking. He's on the board of directors for many organizations, and he is uh, very well-versed in this topic. Welcome to you. We also say hello to Roger Murray, who serves as the executive vice president and chief marketplace officer for Farm Credit East. He serves customers in New York, New Jersey, and New England, also 40 years of lending experience. Finally, good morning to Matthew Wilson, who is the VP of Senior Relationship Manager for Robo Agrofinance in Amarillo, Texas. He is also going to be speaking about a lot of these great topics, and we are going to have time at the end for you to ask your questions as well, so please feel free to think of those as we are going. I think we should kick things off, though, with a question that could probably fill the entire hour. What is the lending climate like right now for farmers? So it, it's, uh, it's actually pretty good. Um, if you look at the last couple of years, uh, the farm economy is, has been pretty good almost uh, across the board. It is, and, and what that's done is it's helped strengthen balance sheets, improved working capital, uh, cash flow and profitability have, have been good. There are some storm clouds uh, on the horizon, though, and so that is is uh, is altering the uh, the outlook on on um, a number of issues because of higher input costs predominantly. Uh, commodity prices have been been holding up. You know, even milk prices, although they're they're up, they're not up as much as expenses are. So margin compression is happening. Um, that's certainly a, a, a big impact, but that's the the general sense of the lending climate right today. I don't really have much else to add to that. Uh, it varies a lot by region, and some of the dairy processors are putting in uh, production caps, and that, that really has changed the paradigm shift, I should say, for a lot of the producers in the East anyway. They've always been able to grow their way out of certain options or uh, additional CapEx needs they might want to do, uh, add a few cows and, and pay for the additional debt but that isn't quite as easy now with the current climate. I'll pass it over to Matt. Well, I guess I'm the young pup of the group. I've only been doing this about 30 years, so. <laughs> but I'll uh, echo their comments. I've, I've never seen uh, the, the balance sheets look better overall in the farm sector. And uh, 
a lot of reasons for that. Had had some really good years in the last 10 that I think, particularly with dairy, has firmed up the balance sheets. But uh, certainly the production limits and the supply situation is, is troubling right now. And uh, we just, I think we just got to hope demand continues to recover as the economy expands and um, you know, we'll find some additional places to go with all the milk we're producing. Sam, you mentioned the storm clouds. This is sort of lack thereof when we talk about drought in many regions of the country right now. How have lending institutions worked with their customers to navigate a pretty uncertain harvest this year? So uh, it really depends on where you are as to how you're doing um, from, uh, from a weather perspective. As uh, we've been talking to, to clients, even as I got down here earlier today and, and saw a number of them, it, de it depends where, where you're located as to how uh, your season was. So there's a, a couple of ways. If you're in those tougher areas, obviously, you're trying to, to build inventory as much as you can but you're gonna look for alternative uh, feedstuffs. I think that's one reason we've seen the culling of uh, the dairy herd start to increase in the last uh, couple of months is because, hey, maybe we just don't have, uh, that margin compression is happening and it's showing up in, uh, in higher feed costs. So what are we doing with them? It's really about what is their plan? What kind of budgets are you putting together? How are you gonna uh, try to mitigate the, uh, the, the tighter margin situation? I'll just add, uh, certainly the extensions that allow for additional cash flow flexibility to get through the next year. Most of our uh, growers would have more than 12 months feed on hand, so this is the year they use uh, some of that up. But there has been some business adjustments, uh, such as reducing young stock growers, those uh, young stock numbers, those kind of things, uh, to be able to free up some resources. You mentioned balance sheets kind of getting firmed up a bit. What role did government stimulus play in all of that? And is it giving us a true picture? There's been, been billions of dollars influxed into this industry. I know a lot of farmers paid out some outstanding bills, outstanding debts, speaking as a custom operator. It was great for us to get some of that cash and some of those bills paid down that people had been outstanding on. But do we have a true picture because of that? I think the government stimulus really depends on the size of the operations. Uh, a larger dairy is going to cap out on those those payments pretty quick. So the you know the impact of those payments is going to be diluted. But you know for a smaller dairy operation, it, it's absolutely very impactful. And uh, you know I think as far as do we have a true picture uh, of the farm finances, I think that always boils down to you know how how good a job is the bar we're doing you know one one thing that we really stress uh, at Robo Bank is is uh, good financial reporting uh, usage of accounting it's for uh, preparation of bar uh, balance sheets and things like that so I think we have a pretty good picture because I think overall in the industry we do a pretty good job in the dairy sector of getting good information the only thing I'd add is uh, the quality of information is critical and most of our growers have been able to look at what their cost of production and their net profitability per cow, for instance, uh, without having that revenue uh, put in from last year. And that really, it gives you a more true picture of the long-term cash flow viability. So just, just one comment to add. Um, obviously, it, that money was real and it showed up on the balance sheet. So that you got a really true picture of what's going on in the balance sheet. The question mark is, is the cash flow sustainable? And uh, what, what we have done in our, at, at BMO Harris is we've looked at, at what cash flow debt service coverage look like with the government payments and without them, just to try to get an idea of what that difference is and, uh, and discuss what uh, that, um, that issue is. S having said that, 
2020 was a really wild year. I mean, we had almost record low milk prices followed by record high milk prices, almost. I mean, the gap, the, the difference between from one month to the next in terms of what class three did has never ever been done before. So I wouldn't know if that, or wouldn't say that that was exactly uh, a normal circumstance either. <laughs> I think uh, the true picture, you've, you've, gotta, you've gotta look at, at what the, uh, the end results were, but understand, as, as uh, Roger and Matt said, what your uh, cost of production is and what's been going on with it. When we talk about inflation, that's also running at a higher level than in recent years. What impact do you see that having specifically on rates? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. If you look at uh, just in the last, I think uh, the 10-year the treasury rate has increased every day for the last six days. That's not usually uh, the case. Uh, it's still very low. I mean, the 10-year treasury uh, is trading about 150, 1.5%. Uh, what that says is that's a pretty good proxy for what the market thinks inflation's gonna be like 10 years down the road. So it is having an impact, but it's, it's a pretty muted one, I would say, on, on rates at this point in time. And we're still seeing a large volume of our producers look at consolidating debt on the long term and, and getting a lo as long a term fix as they could with access to the full range of the yield curve, the 20, 25 year loan fix can be a real plus for a lot of our customers and that allows them to be more flexible on their short term needs as well. So that's been a real push the last several years and I think there's still opportunities, as Sam said, uh, the market is that uh, still well below uh, historical trends. As far as uh you know, how inflation impacts interest rates, uh, you know, I think we just have to watch to see what the Fed does, you know, will they continue to support, um, you know, with purchases in the market. Overall, and I've had this conversation quite a bit with uh, a lot of customers, but, uh, you know, everybody worries about rising interest rates. Uh, I think we'll almost have a two steps forward, one step back uh, in the market with interest rates because cheap money's priced into everything. I mean, it's priced into our inventory carries, uh, cost of inputs, et cetera. So I think rapid increases in interest rates are gonna stall things out pretty quickly. And um, I, I would anticipate a, a slow rise in interest rates, but uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. When farmers are looking at where to spend their money, is equipment still holding value? Do you look at that as a strong investment? It, it appears to me that it, right now equipment uh, would be a good investment simply because of availability of new stuff. Certainly used equipment, uh, we've, we've noticed, has been, you know, the market's been strong for that. The only thing I would uh, comment on is a lot of our uh, uh, dairy consultants that are working with customers are looking at, a, as I mentioned before, a little bit of a paradigm shift. So it's more about getting the farm in sync. Buying a new chopper because you may have the cash flow to do that may put other things out of sync. Uh, in the past, you could have expanded possibly to cover, uh, put some additional cows on to help pay for some of these things. And uh, uh, the equipment is, is usually not a bad investment with maintaining the technology you need. And the data uh, that comes from this new equipment has really, really been helpful for a lot of, a lot of customers. But it's all about staying in balance. I guess same question when it relates to land. If land becomes available for a farmer, is that still the gold standard? Is land where you put your money? It's interesting right now. Uh, I'll be curious what the other two uh, panelists also have to say. 
there's been a lot of interest uh, globally on investing in land, uh, whether it's farmland, uh, certainly dairy farming and or timber, all of those kind of things, and it's looked at as a, uh, as a risk potential, a risk mitigator potential for uh, inflation. It's interesting, uh, the farm next door doesn't come up very often, but we really have to look at are you gonna churn those dollars that come from that additional investment? Or are you actually gonna earn some additional profit? And that's the hard thing to do. It's very specific to each individual farmer. So land historically has, has been a fantastic investment and it typically can out yield the stock market in the long run. Never in my career has land paid for itself when you buy it. So it's a combination of the earnings you get off it every season and long-term appreciation. That's where land makes sense. So as a short-term investment, not a good one. As a long-term investment, it, it still is and remains so. With interest rates low and commodity prices high, that's what's driving land values higher. And I, I would expect that trend to continue. I was visiting with a, a banker friend of mine from Iowa yesterday, and uh, he was telling me about, about some land sales in his market, and he said, you know, we had a farmer that paid uh, a little over $16,000 an acre for some land, and a month later sold a 40 for 17,600. So you see some, some trading going on as well. And it's not just farmers doing all the buying, although I see farmers as being the, the dominant buyers of farmland, but there are some, some, um, some other equity, some other monies that are coming into uh, purchasing farmland. And I think what's driving a lot of that uh, that other money we're talking about here is is low low yields, uh, you know, low interest rates for CDs, etc. You know, your your quote unquote safe investments. Um, you know, it's practically nothing now, so you've got a lot of money chasing yield, and I think that's what's driven a lot of money from these these institutional funds that are that are active in our markets, that have driven them into farmland is is simply chasing yield over the last 20, 30 years had generally increasing crop prices and lowering of interest rates. And I think those two things have created the situation we have now. So I guess the troubling thing is if you have interest rates rising and we have commodity prices declining going forward, uh, you know, we, I certainly think it could be a drag on prices and values. We found ourselves in a situation where we are doing a barn project right now because we had some unintentional skylights in our barn, if that uh, makes sense. And by the time we took the roof off and the timbers were bad, and so now we're, we're building a barn. But uh, coming out of a time frame when plywood was as much as granite, it seemed like, were you telling people to wait? Are you still telling people to wait if they can? That's a tough call. Um, I try not to tell, uh, <laughs> advise uh, a dairy producer or, or who. I'm trying to settle a debate around our dinner table. Yeah. I'm just, I'm <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's a that's a that's a really good question. Um, it, it seems like it seems like things are kind of have plateaued cost wise. We we have some producers who are midstream with some expansions and uh, and it and it's really impacted you know cost overruns et cetera on those projects. So. But it, it seems to be slowing down. I, I, hope, I hope, maybe I'm just telling myself that to make myself feel better. <laughs> we also finance a large section of the forest products industry, so uh, we've got to see some of the earnings that they were able to achieve over the last uh, 12, 18 months as well. But I agree with Matt's comments. I think things have uh, come back down to a little bit more the mean. Uh, but the other big piece is more, it's not, 
if it is the right time, but making sure you have the resources available, the contingencies if uh, you do have a cost overrun. And the other big part that we're seeing in no matter what construction project is uh, the availability of certain uh, pieces. So you could be all set, shells up, the roof's on, and you're still waiting on some critical important piece that doesn't, uh, can't be shipped in uh, for one reason or another, and you have to go six months more with all that asset sitting there empty, not generating any revenue. And so that's probably the biggest thing. It takes a lot more planning and, and more contracting to get it done, think efficiently. Yeah, I don't really have much to add on that other than what Roger really points out is uh, the supply chain disruptions that are happening across every kind of business and, and every uh, type of commodity. So, you know, what was driving uh, the higher building cost? Was it just that, uh, was it the tariffs that we had on Canada? Was it just that lumber mills were not operating at, at full tilt? Was it that we had no demand and all of a sudden demand ramped up? Uh, the answer is yes, it's, it's all the above. And then you add on top of that the inability to get products moved either across the ocean or across the country via, via a truck or, or ship. And you're experiencing that everywhere. I, I uh, toured one of our clients that uh, built a, a, a new uh, farm equipment dealership and, and we walked in the lobby you know, and the, the cans of oil and, and parts are just laying on the floor and, and uh, or he's got them actually stacked on pallets. And, and I said, what's going on? He said, I can't get the racking. You know, it's been back ordered for nine months. So, you know, it's it can be really simple things or it can be something that's really uh, complicated and critical to the enterprise. In talking with you guys, it sounds like relationship building is a critical part of lending. Why is it important to form that relationship with the person that you're going to be asking for a loan? So uh, we all have some gray hair up here, right? <laughs> and, and we've been around, around the block a little bit. And through that 30 to 40 year career that we've had, there's been some really good times and some really rough ones. And so you want to build that relationship so that when you go through those difficult times, you, you know uh, how each other are going to act and react, and that's a critical uh, component of of, uh, of building that. Just look at the microcosm of the last two years. You know, I mentioned we had the the biggest change in milk prices from one month to the next. Were we panicking when milk prices had had absolutely cratered, and were we euphoric when they absolutely um, exploded? And and the answer is. No, because you've been through cycles, you don't, no one understand it, and the cure for high prices are high prices, and, and the cure for low prices are low prices. So it has a way of, of uh, working itself around. And I'll just echo uh, what Sam said. Obviously, relationships have been key in my uh, career as well, and it's really been the best part of what we do as lenders is all the relationships we have with our customers. But it is probably more important that all aspects of the operation are included in communicating on those relationships. So if it's a husband and wife team, uh, they both got to be at the table. Uh, if they always include the vet, the nutritionist, uh, those types of things. You have a profitability team that's really going to make a big difference on how well uh, that operation uh, goes. The other part is, of course, uh, building the uh, awareness and understanding of that next generation that's going to be taken over that business as well. Well, I think relationships are critical in every facet of every business, but uh, particularly critical, I think, in a lender-client relationship. And, and I think it boils down to a relationship uh, usually exists when there's good communication. And, uh, you know, good communication 
is critical, whether it's good times or bad times, uh, you know, whether it's you're looking for uh, ideas on how to invest additional capital or, uh, you know, maybe in tougher times when, when you've got some really tough decisions to make, you know, and so that good communication really comes into play when, uh, you know, you're trying to find an outcome that's, that's beneficial to everybody. And piggybacking off of that, I can't speak to other states, but I know Wisconsin was coming off a few years of absolute records when it came to farm bankruptcies. I know I didn't want to go to mom and dad when my allowance money ran out, but you don't want to get to that point, correct? You want to bring up those concerns before we're in crisis. Yeah, I think anybody that says that asking for forgiveness is better than getting permission in the banking world, that's, that's certainly not the case. So, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more success going to a credit committee and uh, explaining a situation that we're anticipating um, and finding a solution, hopefully ahead of time, than, you know, reacting, you know, again, going back to communication, did we know it was coming? Uh, did, were we able to plan for that uh, or not? Let's talk a bit about the looking looking forward. Um, the the highlights that you see in this industry, the things you're excited about, the things that are are making lending a bright spot in what you're doing right now, compared to some of the darker times that you you have alluded to. Well, I think certainly in the dairy sector in particular, um, I look back at 2014 and just say thank you. Mm. You know that uh, that was a big shot in the arm. Um, you know. A lot, of, a lot of dairy producers had, uh, in our area had expanded, had relocated to, to Texas, New Mexico, from, from other parts of the country in the early 2000. And then, uh, you know, 2009 came along, and that was, that was a tough time. And it, it was a tough climb out of what that did to balance sheets. Uh, and so uh, 2014 was a really, really nice shot in the arm, just one year, really. Uh, allowed a lot of operations to jump forward, but uh, so I guess I'm thankful for, for for the balance sheets, the liquidity, uh, you know, the staying power that that uh, that we've created in the last ten years. That's that's allowing us to I think have a better shot at uh, weathering the storm we're kind of headed into right now. Yeah, over the, my 40 years, I've been through uh, Prime being 19 percent the whole herd diet buyout program way back when, <clears throat> as well as many other uh, issues over the years. And so clearly it's, I couldn't agree more with what Matt said. Our, a lot of our dairy customers are in the best possible position to weather any uh, adversity that comes at them. Sure, there's gonna be some people that just are in the middle of an expansion or uh, the neighbor's farm purchase that uh, is gonna add some more risk, but most are, are in really good shape uh, and, and we look forward to working with them uh, to get through the next uh, cycle. It's more critical now than ever, I think, to maintain discipline and, and try and be patient. Cash in the checkbook, last year, good year, maybe it makes sense to do something or maybe it makes sense to wait for another year or two and, and take advantage of a really good opportunity that comes at. It's not just so much what's uh, current in your business, but also being able to seize the next opportunity, whether it's that neighbor's farm that came in at a, at a much better price than you would ever would have thought, uh, or some other opportunity of, of, of an investment. I think what makes me excited is the number of tools that are available to, to uh, dairy producers today. You know, on, on just the risk management side, dairy margin coverage, dairy revenue protection, LGM dairy, futures, contracts, options. Um, so there's, there's ways to help manage and mitigate risk. Secondly, it's the, the, uh, the tools that the industry has brought. 
I mean, it wasn't that long ago that genomic testing came in, that sex semen use uh, came into play. How that has transformed uh, dairy businesses is, is nothing short of, of, of spectacular. There are other automation and investments that, that are coming on down the road. I think dairy, uh, when, with the conversation about you know, carbon neutrality and the ability for operations to, uh, to financially benefit, I think dairy's gonna have a good spot at the table there. Large dairies are looking at renewable natural gas projects. Uh, other uh, dairy operations are looking at the use of cover crops and can they harvest some, some additional revenue out of, out of that particular uh, process. So, you may not be able to expand the herd, but there may be other revenue sources that are out there, and I think that provides some optimism for this sector as well. When it comes to size of dairies, does size matter when it comes to lending? You know, it, it's a pretty pretty clear uh, that in, uh, in dairy that um, there are economies of size and scale. We can debate about where that number is, uh, but there are definite economies of size and scale that come into play in, in uh, the dairy side. So then you have to look at what are the, some of the mitigants there. And I think that's where the dairy margin coverage program has really helped uh, smaller producers by providing that, uh, that greater safety net. Yeah, I'd echo that. Uh, also, the other uh, smaller farms have the ability to adapt uh, maybe uh, pretty well, whether it's non-farm income, diverse enterprises, if you're lo near a local uh, urban market that you could leverage your other land for vegetable sales, different things of that nature. There's just a lot of different opportunities that the dairy farms can work with, as well as some of the bigger ones. So uh, size does matter, but I would argue uh, some of our most profitable farms are still small and medium-sized farms that have figured out the right formula and got everything in balance. Uh, I think there are pros and cons uh, either way you go. You know, a smaller dairy may not may not have the all the economies of scale and size, but at the same time, they're probably not exposed to the disruptions in the labor market that, that we're having in some of the larger operations now. So I, I think it all depends on, on, on how it's struck, how the business is structured. Is it appropriate for what you're doing? Speaking of structure, I talked about uh, our farm being in a bit of transition as we look to different generations. Certainly as baby boomers retire, if there is such a thing for farmers, there, there is going to be a younger generation looking to step into some of these operations. How can your lender be helpful through that process, whether it's young farmer loans, whether it is someone who maybe doesn't have the, the background finances that dad did but are looking to become part of the business? Well, it's, it's certainly tough for a young operator. It's such a capital-intensive business. Uh, there's, you know, that, that's a huge barrier to entry for a young operator. With that said, though, I think there are a lot of operations out there that uh, are looking around for succession plans. So, you know, I think that's, that's a place that we can come into play um, is, is maybe uh, hooking up uh, older operators who don't have a succession plan in place with, with a younger operator that we're aware of. Uh, I know Farm Credit uh, has a young beginning and small lender program that uh, features features some uh, you know lower equity requirements, maybe some longer amortization terms on loans. Uh, Rabobank has a has a rising star uh, program as well, and I, and I'm sure there's uh, various other programs available uh, you know through other banks. I, I know the USDA has uh, some direct lending programs and, and guaranteed loan programs that can also uh, be a source of financing with, with some looser terms that, that might benefit a younger operator as well. 
Yeah, one of our more successful programs has also been a uh, pro program called Generation Next, uh, and that's allowed us, and I know other banks and institutions, both to the right and left of me, have been involved in these types of uh, programs in the past as well, and it's really all about educating that next generation to be able to be leaders, be able to be supervisors, uh, and manage the numbers as well as the uh, producing assets of the farm. So a lot of good focus. The biggest thing, of course, is starting early. And maybe if the older generation was able to invest in other things than the farm, they may not rely 100% of selling the farm as their retirement asset. And that's obviously offered some flexibility. Uh, profits, interest, partnerships, and LLCs is a good way to for the younger generation without much equity to earn via sweat and earnings. And of course, that's been a real big plus. But we also have a farm start program for new farmers uh, just starting out. It's a small working capital loan. We're not talking large dollars, but it's a way for folks to uh, that currently aren't involved with a family operation but get started in farming. So there is with all the people wanting to move out of the cities into uh, urban er or rural areas, this is one area that uh, they can come and, and possibly get started. The only thing I'll add is that uh, the other thing that, that uh, your banker can do is, is bring some of the other resources to that succession discussion, mm -hmm. which may be legal counsel, accountants. It could even be a facilitator. Sometimes you need a third, uh, a neutral third party to help navigate the family or the non-family members of, uh, of two different generations um, through that process. And it takes time. It takes time. I saw a lot of head nodding to that question, that, that help would be appreciated. When it comes to expectation setting, what should a producer expect from their lender if they're not hearing from them on a regular basis? If they don't have that relationship, what should a producer expect from a quality lender? Well, I think, you know, Matt hit on it earlier. It's communication. That communication is, is two-way. The lender needs to be in communication uh, with, with uh, their clients, and, and likewise, whether it's good news or bad news, you gotta, you got to keep that, uh, that open communication um, going. Uh, and then laying out the, the expectations. You know, we certainly expect, as, as uh, Matt and Roger have said, uh, timely and quality financial information, and we would expect to be timely getting back to, to clients with, uh, with regard to uh, what, their, what their requests are and, and the analysis of, of their business. I think it's uh, really key that the relationship is strong and there's a lot of constant communication that we've been talking about. So uh, nothing really new or different in that area. I would just tell you that it's been a constant piece. There's always new entrants into the lending space and sometimes they understand agriculture and Sometimes they don't, and having a lender like either one of us up here, you know that they understand the cycles that agriculture goes through. The last thing, you might be able to save 20 basis points by getting a, a cheaper rate through another lender, but are they going to be there when the cycle goes down, uh, or are they going to cut and run? And it's always something to take in mind and, and work and have a good interview with, with prospective lenders before you get uh, really started by them. I'm so relationship driven and, and rob a bank in, in our relationship with our clients is so, so relationship emphasized that I, I can't imagine not communicating with my clients on a continual basis. I've got guys I talk to three or four times a week, uh, maybe multiple times a day. So 
But with that, with all that said, I think it also depends on the client. You know, not everybody, not everybody's the same. Not everybody wants the same level of interaction. So I think one thing that a good lender does is he gauges um, how often somebody wants that that communication. But by and large, I, I go back to communication is key with your lender. You know, and it, it it probably needs to be regular. When you think about your top producers, some of your best, most successful clients, are there things that they have in common? They, they tend to be very detail-oriented um, in terms of profits, losses, cost of production. I, I, I would say that's, that's the most common factor I see is, is people that know the cost of production can then target price levels for their commodities, whether it be dairy, corn, whatever, tend, tend to rank high. Uh, you know, that's, that's a key component. I'll add real quick the... Uh in the beginning, when I first started my career, a lot of my dairy farmer customers were obviously really good with cows, not so good with people. Uh, the top producers today are really good with people. And they also have that zest for learning. They're constantly seeking out different ways to bring new ideas to their farm, and that could be through uh, some of the help they hire and or some of the advisors they, they uh, have on their farm on a regular basis. I'd summarize it this way. They plan, execute, and monitor. So they, uh, they put a plan together for, for the business, uh, then they follow through on that plan, and the most important part is monitoring it because plans never work out. I mean, what did Mike Tyson say? Um, your plan goes out the window the first minute you get hit in the mouth, right? Mm -hmm. So I see them, our top producers monitoring um, a, a couple of different dashboards. First off, it's a production dashboard. They've got a couple of metrics that they're looking at, either on a daily basis, a weekly, monthly, annual basis. They've got a financial dashboard, same thing. And now the really top producers are looking at a macro dashboard. What happens if China quits buying dairy products, right? What happens if there's a livestock disease somewhere? What happens if interest rates uh, go up or the, the Fed raises rates. And um, those kinds of dashboards can give you an idea of what do I need to do to adjust my plan and, uh, and execute in a different way. I think we should open it up to questions in a moment, but I want to give the three of you a chance to leave us with any last thoughts when it comes to evaluating farm loans that we maybe didn't have a chance to touch on today you think are critical for our producers to hear. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I think that um, and I'd be curious of from Roger and Matt, but I've evaluated farm loans the same way my entire career. You look at, at the strength of the balance sheet, at the cash flow, at the profitability, uh, at working capital, and at collateral. The difference is the, the, the quality of, that, of, that, of those metrics changes from year to year. So the way we analyze um, loans hasn't changed, but what we do, depending upon where you fall in those, in those, uh, those, those critical uh, financial metrics, can change uh, how that loan looks and how you're going to analyze it from year to year. Great point. Uh, I would say going forward, we're relying a lot more on all sorts of data uh, to evaluate. It used to be, what was your debt per cow? Well, 
That's maybe one small factor out there, but it's really not that important. It all depends on how that fits with uh, the overall investment in your farm. Are you using robotics? Uh, do you have a, a special milk market premium that you're able to access, whether it's A2 milk or non-GMO or your organic or on and on and on, all the different pieces. So. Being able to understand all the different data points and have a zest for it, I think uh, Sam hit it on the head with having a dashboard that you can share and discuss uh, with your management team on a daily, weekly basis is, is critical. Uh, and then obviously keeping your lender in the loop. I don't have a lot to add other than just have a forward-thinking mindset. Uh, it's so competitive in, in our landscape today. Things have changed so fast because of technology, trade, et cetera, et cetera. I think you have to constantly be looking out ahead, trying to figure out what's coming next. You know, where, where are we going from here? One of the best features about the educational programs hosted at Expo is the ability for audience members to ask the experts questions. The Q&A session for this seminar is a fantastic extension of the conversation we just listened to. It's actually so good. We'll be releasing it as the next episode in two weeks. But if you can't wait that long, a complete recording of this seminar, including the Q&A session, can be found at WorldDairyExpo.com or on the World Dairy Expo YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.